0: This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday, 10 to 2, on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app.
1: Let's talk about the O.J. Simpson case now. It was 25 years ago this month. The bodies of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were discovered at a horrifying crime scene in L.A. As the whole world knows, O.J. Simpson, charged with those murders, found not guilty In the trial of the century Simpson also back in the news this month after he started a Twitter account and posted a video saying he has some getting even to do let's talk about this now with my guest Kim Goldman she is a victim's rights advocate she is the sister of Ron Goldman I highly recommend her new podcast confronting OJ Simpson I'm very pleased and to welcome her to the show thanks very much thanks very much for coming on today sure I have great admiration for you, and I'm sorry for the injustice inflicted on your family. I, th- I think your podcast is terrific. Let's talk about the uh, the anniversary. 25 years ago, you lost your brother. Are these anniversaries difficult for you? I mean, you hit like 10 years, 20 years, now 25 years.
0: Um, you know, honestly, every day is hard. I'm living my life without my brother. Um, I think what happens on some of the bigger marks um it's just a reminder of how long it's been um but yes having uh all the additional attention drawn um just pours a little bit of salt in the water you know is already an open wound but um you know it's hard every day so you learn how to brace
1: yourself how did you find out how did you get that news that day
0: um, my dad, actually, my dad, I was living in Los Angeles. I was in San Francisco. Um, he had been listening to the news all day, um, not knowing that my brother was the unknown other victim um, in the news reports. Uh, they were just released Nicole's name. Um, and so about five o'clock, my dad found out from the coroner. She called our home and told my dad. And then, um, my dad immediately called me, I was living in San Francisco, and he called me, um, I was not home, so it was about an hour and a half later that I finally connected with my dad and he shared with me, you know, asked if I knew what had happened and heard the news, and I didn't, um, and he kept asking me, you know, do you know about Nicole Brown Simpson? I said, I don't know who that Just get to the point. I was so frustrated. Um, And then he just blurted it out that my brother died. It was just such a surreal moment because i had seen footage on the news that day just at my break at work um just a quick glimpse um of bodies being removed from a crime scene but i didn't obviously know what i was watching um
1: so it was just obviously very jarring was oj simpson immediately a suspect in your mind at that time
0: I honestly had no idea who he was. Um, we, we grew up in Chicago, so uh, I no, I didn't have any thoughts of guilt or innocence. Um, i learned about everything right along with the public.
1: The, the events of that time are just emblazoned on our co- kind of collective memory. I mean, people remember the, the slow-speed Bronco chase of O.J. Simpson. Uh, did you watch that on TV?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, We were at our home, um, and I think we knew that he that he fled. Um, We were watching the press conference in the morning, and I was remember feeling frustrated that he was able to turn himself in. Um, And then the police chief Garçon got on the news and said that he was a fugitive because he didn't turn himself in. And then I think we were just glued to the TV once the news broke that they found him on the freeway. you know we had again we had no idea I mean we were very new to the situation we didn't have a ton of information uh, and we just were following right along with the public.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the trial in the podcast you go over some of the decisions made by the prosecution in the trial you talk to prosecutors Marcia Clark and and Chris Darden some of the decisions that, that they made and also some of the evidence that was not presented to the jury do you think the prosecution did a good job or do you think mistakes were made?
0: Um, I I think probably both. Um, I've always had a high respect um, for the district attorney's office and, you know, everybody that was involved in putting on my brother's and Nicole's trial. I, of course, think that there was probably mistakes that were made, but I think we only know that after the fact. Um, I think at the time, I think I believed wholeheartedly that they were putting on a heck of a case because we had, you know, hundreds of pieces of evidence that pointed to one person. So I don't think I understood the ramifications of one decision over another. I've had a lot of years to reflect and, you know, think about it and talk to other people about it. And I think now it's easy for me to find that maybe they replaced it. But I don't think anything would have made a difference with that jury.
1: How about asking Simpson to try the gloves on in front of the jury? That's probably the most famous scene in the courtroom where Simpson struggles to put the gloves on and said they didn't fit. Uh Do you think that was clearly a mistake by the prosecutors to do that?
0: Well, uh, you know, uh, in the episode uh, one hundred and four, which is actually available today, we talked to Chris Stardin about that, um, his decision to do that. Um, uh, you know, I think Chris would would probably think it was a mistake, but again, at the time, it, we we knew were his gloves. You know, they were they were his gloves, and so. And I was there. I saw him put him on. I saw him fake struggle to have them fit. I mean, I I saw what was going on in there. And so, yes, I think, again, when you believe it wholeheartedly in all of your evidence, you don't think anything's going to backfire on you. But, you know, should he have not done that in that moment because we didn't know what was coming? Maybe. But again, nothing would have made a difference with that jury. You just nothing would have mattered.
1: One of the things I find interesting in the podcast is some of the evidence that was not presented at the trial. There, there was a woman, for example, who said she saw O.J. Simpson driving erratically in the, in the white Bronco with the headlights turned off near the murder scene at around the time of the killings, and yet she was not called as a witness.
0: Well, I think so. You're referring to Jill Shively, um, yeah. and she, uh, at the time, she sold her story to uh, the tabloid news program, Hard Copy, and that was a big no-no back then. I mean, you have to keep in mind, this was 25 years ago. That kind of maneuver was bad. Today, if you haven't sold your story, it's bad, you know? So we're in a completely different world. Maybe it would have made a difference. I don't know, but there was that. But the science didn't make a difference. The domestic violence didn't make a difference. The blood didn't make a difference. So adding one more thing, I, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sort of left with the feeling of, well, maybe we just should have put all of it in there and just, you know, then we wouldn't have all these what ifs. And I think that's what I'm struggling with.
1: This is Mike Smith filling in for Semi Sarah today. Let's continue my conversation now with Kim Goldman. Kim, let's talk about the verdict now. When when everyone was was told that the jury had reached a verdict after just 4 hours, did you think that was a, a good sign that they had reached a verdict that quickly or were you worried?
0: Um I I was worried. I didn't understand um you know what it meant. Um and I that day um it was you know, we just listened to people talk about it and tell me their opinions about it, and I, and everybody was split. You know, um, it was either, oh, my God, it's because they, it has to be guilty. There was nothing else they needed to decide. Um, and then other people, you know, thought 100% the opposite. So I went in there thinking um, I had no idea what they were going to do because I'd watched the jury, and I couldn't read them. Um yeah. So, in hindsight, um, talking to the jurors for the podcast, um, they basically told me that that three-and-a-half-hour deliberation was a bunch of BS.
1: It was yep. just covering, covering up for boredom, basically. Everyone remembers the television images of the courtroom that day with, with you in tears, embracing your father, Fred Goldman. When those words were read out, not guilty, what went through your mind?
0: Um, I, I felt, um, shock and disbelief, um, uh, and just sadness. Um, I felt like we had let my brother down. Um, it felt, I felt betrayed. Um, you know, I was raised to believe in the justice system and, you know, that's where you go to find the truth. And, um, I just, I felt like we didn't, that didn't happen for us that day. And I just felt very betrayed
1: all right simpson found not guilty but it wasn't over your family has never stopped fighting you filed that civil lawsuit against oj simpson he was found responsible for the deaths of nicole and your brother ron he was ordered to pay thirty three point five million dollars has your family ever received any money at all from simpson
0: no um you know the the our, our legal system here and the States is a little funky. There's a lot of protections for people that owe money. And he uh, insulated himself very well by a team of attorneys. Um, he moved to a state that is a debtor-friendly state, so everything he earned and had there was protected by by the laws of that state. His pensions are all protected. And then any other money he was earning, he was doing under, under nefarious rules. <laughs> so we weren't able to attach to anything except if I did a book, we ended up with that um, and had to, were forced to publish that.
1: Um, right.
0: And then some of that money had to go back and pay for his own debts, which was
1: ironic. But He did nine years in jail for robbery and kidnapping on an unrelated charge. He's out of jail now. Uh, he was back in the news the other day after he started a Twitter account. I, I just looked at it this morning, Kim. He's got like over 800,000 followers there. Does, does that bother you?
0: Yes, it bothers me that he's out and, and uh, free. Out of prison. Um, It bothers me that he's back in the public eye um, and that I have to find another wall of armor to protect myself so that I don't get hurt from that because it's painful and it's hard to keep deflecting all the time. Um, But I do find myself checking out the comments um, and I get a little comic relief for that because people are unrelenting and just because he has 800,000 followers does not mean that those are 800,000 fans.
1: What did you think of that video he put out? And he said he's got some getting even to do. What? How do you interpret that?
0: I, I interpret that as as uh, narcissistic and sick as he's always been. Um, you know, I'm surprised that that's... Well, I'm not surprised that that's what he would start with. But a part of me feels like, where's your PR guy? You know, telling you that that's the first thing you say. Um, I, I don't know. It's all about him. It's always been... Um, he wants the attention drawn to him, and, and he's getting it for sure. But, I mean, come on, dude. The mother of your children were murdered, and your Twitter account is two days after, and that's the first thing you say.
1: Jeez. Well, well, he also told the Associated Press the other day that he he plays golf every day, and he doesn't think about the murders, which to me is, is revealing as well. I mean, if your ex-wife was murdered, and you don't think about that? Well,
0: you know, he, he, he talks about living in a no-negative zone, but then literally yeah. the next day comes out and, and does that you know says I want to get even. I mean I counsel kids for a living and to not talk about grief, not talk about trauma that's bad for recovery. Um, and he says he never talks about it with the kids. I mean, I don't know what you say to your kids, sorry I killed your mom. I mean I don't know how you comfort them through that.
1: I understand you don't use the name O J Simpson. You call him something else, right?
0: I do. I call him the killer I always have. Um nothing will happen to me if I call him by his name. I just choose not to. Um it seems too um, too familiar, too informal, uh, yeah. and so I call him by what he is. and That's a killer.
1: The podcast is called "Confronting O.J. Simpson." I've heard that you've you've actually wanted to do that. You actually, at one point, wanted to confront O.J. Simpson. You wanted to? Did you ask to see him in jail at, at one point?
0: I did um, when he was he was in prison. Um, I sent a couple of letters and requests to see if I could see him in prison, it's part of, part of the process for me. There's a lot of victims and survivors that believe in the restorative justice process. And, and in that process, you seek to confront the person that perpetrated a crime against you. Um, I don't know that I had questions. I don't know that I had anything I wanted to say. It was more of a visual thing for me, um, just wanting to see him behind bars and me being able to walk out and have him be left. Um, but that, that, that meeting never happened.
1: Did he respond at all to the request?
0: He he did not. I mean, my, my communication uh, was with his attorney uh, at the time, Yael Galanter, and ultimately they wanted me to sign a, um, a non-disclosure agreement to say that it never happened and I could never speak about it. And I had to pretend like it didn't occur and I just wasn't willing to do that. So I still have those feelings of wanting to see him confront him. I don't really know what it's about. I can't entirely explain it. I think it's very normal. Um, and so that's why I've invited him to participate. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but
1: it's part of, part of my, my, my story. You've asked him to be, be a part of the podcast, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I have invited him through, you know, whatever means I can, um, to, you know, include him in this process. Um, again, there's this, there's this feeling I have in the pit of my stomach that I need something. Um, and it's hard to explain unless you've experienced it. Um, it's about the 25 years and the, the mark that it's left on my heart, my life, and all the people that were involved in this case.
1: Just lastly, Kim, just about your brother, Ron. Of course, this is all about your brother, Ron. The very first episode of the podcast is about him, your relationship with him, and you interview some of his friends. What do you want people to remember about your brother?
0: Um, the first episode, you know, was probably the most difficult. Um, the most wonderful and loving, but the hardest. Um, uh, I I think people will realize about my brother is how loved he was, um, how much his friends adored him, how fun he was. Um, he just always had such a positive outlook. He was he was the goofy one between the two of us. I was the bookworm. Uh, and he was just a lover of life guy. And, um, you know, my brother was my best friend and my protector. And what he did in the last couple minutes of his life really kind of epitomizes exactly who he was. And I was, you know, a hero and someone who acted selflessly to try to protect somebody else.
1: How are you doing, by the way, these days? I mean, you, I mean, you sound very confident. And are Are you doing okay?
0: You're sweet. I am um, doing okay. I'm a, I'm a one-day-at-a-time kind of girl. I'm a, I'm a mom to a 15-and-a-half-year-old, so the fact that you say I sound cal- calm is surprising. <laughs> um, but I, I run a charity, a uh, nonprofit organization, the Youth Project, and I counsel teens. I've been doing that since 2005. I volunteer. I'm ai vice chair for the National Center of Victims of Crime. I advocate. I write. I run my kids' basketball team. I mean, I'm just, you know, you, you take it one day at a time and... and
1: ask for help when you need it. So that's where I'm at. Thanks for doing this today.
0: I appreciate it. Thank you.